of all our praise. I tell you, neighbor, you're thankful for your heater today. It was cold outside, wasn't it? Well, my grandson lives in Rogers, Arkansas, and it was about four degrees last night, but they had a little snow, and I want to show you just a few seconds of his first encounter with snow. I bet it'll put a smile on your face. Hey, baby. Henry. Well, there you have it. He doesn't like grass, but he likes snow. <laughs> Turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Israel, as we step into the time of, this, of the nation, uh, Isaiah began his public ministry some 700 years before Christ was born. The nation was in trouble. She was rebelling against God. She was heading toward judgment. And God needed a man to call the nation back to him. And Isaiah said, uh, Scripture says, I heard the voice of the Lord. And what Isaiah heard was this. God said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And then he heard God say, go. And with that calling and sending, he became a prophetic voice to the nation to call the nation back to a righteous God. I suggest to you it was the day that Isaiah answered the call that his life took on lasting significance. I'm in a series that we've been doing now in the month of January called In Search of Significance. I am challenging you to the realization that it's what we do for Christ that lasts forever. It is in serving the Lord that our life takes on lasting meaning. Uh, just a few days ago, I was in my garden. I loved to garden, and I was tilling up my rows, getting ready to plant cauliflower and broccoli. And uh, I've got a cool garden, a fence around it, and it's irrigation, you know, and all that stuff. It's my hobby. But guess what? It won't have anything in eternity. Duck season is almost over. How many know? <laughs> it has no value in eternity. There's nothing that lasts except what we do for Christ. And I'm challenging you, whether you're young or older, to think about what you do for the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about how you are serving the Lord and find ways of your life that you can make a difference like this. Well, this is what we're talking about in this series. Um, all of us want our life to have meaning and lasting significance. Everyone in this room, and the way it happens is by serving the Lord. Well, I want to begin this morning's message. Uh, last week we talked about Simon Peter. You remember the call that God has. And as we take a risk and answer God's call, significance can unfold in his life. Well, this morning I, I want to uh, uh, talk on a little different lines. I want to talk about serving the Lord and not be bound by our limitations. Uh, I want to begin with a video, and let's use it as a starting place from a member of our church, Karen Rayfield, and my wife, Linnell, about this a ministry that she started. This is my friend, Karen started. Rayfield, and her and her husband, Artie, are the founders of Project Hope. Tell us what Project Hope does for the poor. Project Hope is what we do is we work with Church Under the Bridge. We work, um, we do laundry twice a month. We also deliver food to about 75 families throughout the community. In the process of this, we have single moms and their kids that are homeless or almost homeless that's needing housing. In Texarkana, we do not have transitional housing. All right, look, short clip. We don't have transitional housing in Texarkana for homeless folks, but look at a picture. Um, the former restoration house, now the church owns this. It's called Grace House, and it houses uh, four women uh, who were homeless or near homeless with children. 
And we take them off the street. It's about a year program, help them clean their life up, help them get a job. And uh, we had our first graduate this year where we sent them out. And uh, now she's got her own apartment and she's living a normal life. Well, this started because one woman that didn't have anything had a burden to help people who were in need. Now I want to read her testimony to you. She said, I was a single mom when I was 19. This is Karen, the lady that started this ministry. I was a single mom at 19. I was once homeless with a child. I understand what it means to need to have your clothes washed but have no resources. I started going to church under the bridge. It's a church for homeless people in Texarkana. And God reminded me of what I said when I was homeless, that if I ever get a chance to help someone else, I will. And from that, God birthed Project Hope from my pain. Now, here's what I want you to see this morning from this perspective. When she started this ministry, and this ministry has significance, it helps people in the name of Christ. It has lasting value. When she started it, she didn't have anything. She didn't have any money. She just had a desire to go and check it out, these people that were homeless yet living under the bridge. And after she was there a while, she realized they didn't have any means to wash their clothes she and her husband had little money. They used their money pretty quick on that and asked the church, could, could we help? And we said, of course, we adopted in our outreach program. So now she's doing laundry twice a month for as many people as need to have their clothes done. And then she got a real burden for the women as she was one time, homeless with a child. With, with a child. And somehow she got in link with this house and the church bought the house and now it's an ongoing ministry. So what is my point? She started all this with nothing. She didn't have the resources. All she had was limitation. And so often our limitations, what we don't have and what we don't know, stop us from doing what God has called us to do. Now, I'm building this message on the foundation of a calling. It's not just some ambition or idea that we get. But when God calls us to do something, we oftentimes don't have what we need to get it done. But in that process, if God calls us, God will supply, and we cannot be limited by our limitations. And this is what I want to talk about today. I've entitled the message, Go in the Strength You Have. It's a phrase from the book of Judges from a man named Gideon. And we're going to look at the life of Gideon and the nation of Israel, and I think it will inspire you today to realize, as all of us do, God is not limited by my limitations. All he needs is my willingness and my obedience. Let's explore it together. Judges chapter 6. Uh, again, the nation had rebelled against God. That was the history of, of Israel. She walks with God and things go well. She begins to fall away from God, go into idolatry, takes on the pagan ways, and, and, and life falls apart. God judges them. And then when they repent and turn back to God, blessings return. Well, we're in a down cycle now. The Midianites, they were a pagan people and they were afflicting the, the children of Israel. Judges chapter 6 verse 11. An angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak tree which belonged to Joash while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in a wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Now let me read about a half a dozen verses and then we'll come back verse by verse. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now get the picture. You're hiding because you're scared. Uh, uh, wheat should be separated in a large uh, 
piece of ground that's hard. You step on it, you crush it, animals will walk on it, you throw it up in the air and the wind blows the chaff away. But he's hiding inside a wine press, perhaps this large, maybe that tall, and he's hiding so they don't steal it. And the angel has the audacity to say, O mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that the fathers recounted to us, saying, Didn't the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord's forsaken us and given us into the land of Midian. And the Lord turned to him. This was perhaps a Christophany or theophany where God himself took on the form of an angel. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Did not I send you? This is the calling. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. Manasseh, one of the, one of the uh, 12 tribes uh, or, or, or of Israel, uh, one of Joseph's sons. So we're talking about this huge uh, family, uh, but yet his little grouping of cousins, very small. And he said, I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord just said to him, but I will be with you. And you'll strike the Midianites as one man. The Midianites, the army, well over 120,000 people. But yet the fight will be as if they're one person and they'll defeat them. Now, what happened next is amazing. He got out of the wine press and he went forwards to what God called him to do. He was a judge and a deliverer. As a spiritual judge, what he did, they, they were worshiping pagan idols. They were practicing idolatry. He went down in the middle of the night and tore down their altar. And uh, he had to face the evil within the city. But then they go out to battle. Now, let me read a scripture, Judges 6.33 Afterward, the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east form an alliance. This is well over 122,000. And here's the key to the whole message. He goes out to fight them. The Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. Now, this is not power that you would glean from the gym. This is something spiritual. This is power that comes from God himself. This is the supernatural aspect of God's help in our life. Uh, uh, and, and interesting, God, his army was 32,000, and God whittled his army down to 300 people. Uh, it's incredible. How is this possible? How could a man with 300 people defeat 120,000? I'll tell you, God is not limited by our limitations. All he needs is our willingness and obedience. And his power will give us supernatural ability. Now, I want you to think, when I talk about supernatural ability, don't think of some TV evangelist or, you know, or anything like that. Think about uh, uh, Karen Rayfield, who had the supernatural hand of God on her life to just show up at a church for homeless people, and a couple years later, she's feeding 75 a week. She's doing uh, laundry for them. She's got a house. Think of the hand of the Lord bringing influence in our life and ministry. Now, let's go back and we're going to look verse by verse. Let's begin in verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak tree, and Gideon is beating out wheat in a wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Now, hiding in a wine press is a picture of being weak and helpless. It's a picture of someone that says, well, I can't do anything for God. I don't have a Bible college degree. I can't do anything for God. Uh, I don't have any money. 
I can't do anything for God. My schedule keeps me so full, it's no way I have time. Or how about this? I can't do anything for God because I've been divorced. I've had an abortion. I have a felony record. All things of which are a picture of a wine press that serve as a limitation while we can't do what God has called us to do. You know, the coolest thing, God always has a plan to advance His purposes on the earth. You may look at our nation today. Don't be discouraged. God has a plan to visit America. God had a plan for when Egypt, uh, Israel was slaves in Egypt. God had a plan and He raised up Moses. When the human race was all dying with no hope for eternal life, God had a plan and He sent Jesus. How many know God always has a plan? And what we see in this passage, Gideon is called to be a judge and deliverer, but he has to overcome his fear, and he cannot let his limitations disqualify him. Some of us feel inside, and it's been programmed into us, perhaps for generations. Maybe you feel, because of my gender, I can't do anything great for God. Because of the color of my skin. Because of my family situation. Can I tell you, friend, these become lies. When God calls us, God knows our limitations. God knows our problems. God knows our shortcomings. But God has the capacity to move us beyond these things. Now, look at verse, uh, verse uh, 12. God sees our potential. Hear this guy. Look at verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you. Now, Gideon is scared to death. And God has the audacity to call him a mighty man of valor. But you have to link it with that first phrase. What's it say? It's kind of like the teeter-totter. The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. It's two links in a chain. It's not just that you are Superman. It's not just that you are well-read. It's not just that you're educated. It's not just that you're smart or strong. It is the Lord is with you to overcome and compensate. Gideon looked in the mirror and saw himself as weak, helpless, and poor. But God sees our potential. See, it's, he sees what we can do through the power of the Holy Spirit when we simply say yes to the calling. Again, what God wants from you and I is willingness and obedience. He'll take care of the rest. Willingness and obedience. Peter couldn't walk on the water. Remember in the New Testament? I believe it literally happened. He couldn't walk on the water until God was with him. Uh, Paul, when he was in jail, shackled for simply preaching the gospel. He's chained with chains, but in the middle of the night an earthquake comes and the chains fall off. He couldn't get out of that himself. He didn't pick the lock. God came. And what I want to tell you is the same God that came to Gideon, the same God that came to Peter, and the same God that came to Paul is the same God that can come to you and I and can cause our call to become reality. Look at verse 13. Here's another problem. Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why? Why has all this happened to us? Where are all your wonderful deeds that our fathers told us about when you delivered them from Egypt? That's a fair question. See, you and I read this chapter, and we read a couple chapters in a few minutes, and we understand the whole thing. He'd been living this for probably seven or eight years. Now, it's one thing if you're in trouble one day and you get out the next, but when you've lived that seven or eight years, when every crop that you've planted has been stolen... 
when you can't put food on your table, when your kids don't have uh, 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 food to eat, you can't put clothes on their, on their body, you can't give them new shoes because of the oppression, after a while it gets hopeless. How many can say it does? If you've been praying as I have for... I got saved during the Jesus movement in the 70s. I've been praying for another Jesus movement for 30 or 40 years, and it hadn't happened. There's been little inklings of revival in America, but there's not been anything that changed a generation in America since that happened. And you can get tired of, you can get tired of this. Gideon was confused over his circumstances. He was discouraged, and he was doubting God. He'd become hopeless, faithless, and afraid to act. Now let's look at a modern parallel. America is becoming increasingly godless and pagan. Those things that you and I cherish, there are political forces that are growing that want to get rid of them totally. Sexual immorality that was judged in a place called Sodom is now enshrined in law. And if you disagree with it, you are guilty of a hate crime. Lawsuits are filed all over America to remove crosses from our military cemeteries. Uh, Science, if your kid goes to school, public school, uh, he's not taught about in the beginning God created. He said in the beginning there were some gases in a universe that was likely pre-existing and there's no great cause, there's no intelligent designer. Mobs are forming across America. There was a mob, I believe it was with Antifa, that appeared in a church in Austin and they were in disagreement towards their stance of biblical marriage and they demanded that the church stop believing and teaching or get out of Austin. Mobs are gathering across America demanding the right to kill babies knit together by God in their mother's womb on the altar of convenience. Here's my question. Why is God allowing this? Why doesn't God do something? Why do you, have you, many of us have stopped reading the news? Because it grows increasingly hopeless. Is it just possible that God is looking for a Gideon? Is it just possible that God is looking for a Moses that will answer the call at the burning bush or answer the call? Moses was running away from God at the burning bush. Moses ran away from where he was called to be. Joshua is in this, in this vat, and Joshua is going to be God's solution. And is it just possible that there could be modern-day Joshua's all over this church and all across America today waiting for the Lord to speak to them? Modern-day Gideons, come on, simply if they will get out of the vat, if we will be willing to go and do what God says, our obedience will, could cause a spiritual awakening in our nation. How many can believe that's possible? Well, sure it is. Punch your neighbor and say, you could be Gideon. You could be that person. So, again now, Gideon griping, complaining, why? Let's go to verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? In other words, I just want you to go with what you've got. Warts, bubbles, and all, and I'm going to take over. If you'll just be willing and show up. This happened incredibly. We, uh, Pastor Cole uh, uh, shared a story last week. Uh, one of the teachers in our school had a burden for her kids beyond reading, writing, and arithmetic. Uh, she said, I want to see God touch these kids' lives. Many of them are from broken homes. They don't have hope. They don't have anybody that loves them. They need God. 
So the kids are gathered early in the morning, just hanging out as kids do. And she asked Cole and Pastor Zach if they could just bring some donuts and a guitar and talk to them a little bit. And they just showed up, uh, gave out donuts, playing a song. Before they know it, they're sharing their testimony, talking about Jesus, and kids are raising their hands to commit their life to Christ. This is exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people just have a burden, and usually if you have a burden, it's because God is speaking to you. Usually if you're bothered by something. If you didn't come Wednesday night, you missed one of the most incredible presentations I have heard since I've been in the history of this church. I heard four women, three of which were a part of our church, what they're doing to help children, whether it's during a crisis pregnancy, whether it's kids that need to be adopted, whether it's foster parenting, and these gals had fire on them. They had fire, they had passion, and they had desire because it started with something, that a, a fire God started burning in their heart. And that's how they knew it was a call. Well, let's keep going. Go in the strength you have. What that means is God can do a lot with the little we have. The lack of our ability or resources will not hinder God from doing great things through our lives. His power and ability makes up for our, what we don't have and can't do. Now let me read you a New Testament passage that affirms this. 1 Corinthians 1, Paul writes to the Corinthians, Look at what you were when God called you. Not many of you were wise in the way the world judges wisdom. Not many of you had great influence. And not many of you came from important families. In other words, you're just ordinary people. You're not of the wise crowd. Let's say you don't have a Ph.D., uh, you don't have great influence. In other words, you, can't, you don't have the personal number to the governor. And you're not from an important family. They don't name a building or they don't name a dam or a road after you. You're just a common, ordinary person. And he's now, but listen to what he says. He said, but God chose the foolish things of the world. <laughs> That'd be us. Uh, God chose the weak things of the world. That'd be us. He chose what the world thinks is unimportant to destroy what the world thinks is important. He did this so no one can brag in his presence. What does this mean? God is looking for people that are limited naturally, that have boundaries around their life, and he can do great things. Uh, God cut Gideon's army from 32,000 to 300 people. Listen to the verse in Judges. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand, lest Israel boast and say, my own hand save me. Listen, if you started a ministry with full qualifications and fully funded and everything was in gear, you'd have no need for God. But when you start out with limitation, the God factor kicks in. Come on now. And the God factor can do incredible things. Listen to what Paul Paul had a physical weakness, a thorn in the flesh. And here's what he said about that. He said, God told him, my grace is enough for you because when you're weak, what's it say? My power is made perfect in you. See, so often we're thinking about what we don't have. Uh, I have a disability. Uh, I, I'm retired. Uh, I don't have money. Uh, I work uh, a, a job and it's extra hours. All these things that are valid, they're all limitations. But listen, friends, if you want to die having lived a life of significance, you've got to hear what the Lord's calling you to do and find a way to get through those things because God wants you there. Zechariah the prophet said this, the word of the Lord came to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the ancient Israelite king that went after the exile back to rebuild the fallen temple. 
And the Lord told him this, it's not by might nor power. In other words, it's not by human ability or strength, but by my, come on, say it with me, spirit says the Lord. And this is what we're talking about. Come on, give him a good hand today. Now, this last section, as I wrap up, verse 15. And Gideon, he's still in, in, in looking in the mirror mode. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my father's house. I can't shoot a bow and arrow straight. I can't win at arm wrestling. And I can't outrun an angry dog. I'm just kind of me. And listen to what the Lord said again. I will be with you. He's just looking for willingness and obedience. And then you're going to strike the Midianites as one man. Remember now, an army of 120,000. He said, it's going to be like you fighting them, and it's going to be like their hands are tied behind their back and their feet have shackles on them. It's an unfair fight because I'm on your side. When God said, I'll be with you, it's like he's saying, I'm going to give you spiritual power to do what's humanly impossible. Now, I want you to listen to me a moment because all of us have been raised in secular America which says there's nothing outside of what we can see. There's nothing outside of what we can quantify. There's nothing outside what the microscope or the telescope can find. But the Bible says that God is there and His power can be released. In the Old Testament, it was often called the anointing. The word anoint, by definition, is to pour oil onto a person as a religious ritual. You'll often see if you come to the altar for prayer for sickness, the Bible says if we anoint with oil, the prayer of faith will save the sick. But it's not the oil that is curative. It is, it is a, a, a prayer, a desire, that the Holy Spirit's power would be released for healing. But here's what anointing means. It means to endow the anointed one with the qualities or the nature of God. In other words, when you're anointed, you can function and behave like God does. Now, you're not God, okay, but God is giving you the ability as Peter to walk on the water. God is giving you the ability as Paul to shake off chains that bind you. Uh, God is giving you the ability as Gideon to destroy an army. God is giving you as Isaiah and, and Gideon the ability to turn the nation back to him. God is giving you, if you'll listen, the ability he gave Jonah to call a pagan nation back to him. See, this is what we're talking about, the anointing. Jesus had this. Jesus was not only fully God, but he was fully man. And for the part of him that was man, he said these words, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And this is what you and I need. We need willingness, we need obedience, and we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our life. We need the power of God to operate in us. Let me ask you a question. How did David kill Goliath? With an anointed rock. How was Moses able to give water to drink for perhaps two million, one and a half to two million people in the wilderness? With an anointed stick, he touched a rock and water gushed out. This is what I'm talking about. In the New Testament, the anointing is referred to as the power of the Holy Spirit. It's talked about a promise, but it is spiritual power to do what God's called us to do. And if you could think with me just a moment, lay aside just a minute your perception of the Pentecostal teaching of the power of the Holy Spirit and all that. Think about it this way. Think about it as the, as, as the ability of God to do what he's called us to do. 
Think about, I would say that school teacher that got that Bible club started and that whole deal, I would say she was anointed by God to do that. Uh, the missionary that goes, Brother Larry Myers, when he left for Mexico uh, with nothing and no promise, and 40 years later, hundreds upon, oh, probably a thousand churches have been built, pastored, pastoral networks, hospitals. How did he do that? He was anointed. It's an anointing. Now, let, let me read with you what the New Testament talks about this in terms of the Holy Spirit giving spiritual power to all believers. Because there should be this great expectation is that God wants every believer to have the power of the Holy Spirit to do what he's called them to do. It's to start a Bible club at work. There's a businessman that I know that funds missionaries. And he started out as just kind of an ordinary contractor. But when he said yes to the call of God, God began to multiply the success of his business. And he has invested millions upon millions upon millions of dollars in building churches around the world. He was anointed to build and he was anointed to give. So think beyond the, the boundaries of what we learn in the book of Acts of the New Testament about the possibilities. Listen, whole, could you have faith to believe that whole high schools could have a revival? Could you have faith to believe that secular universities could have an outpouring of the Holy Spirit where liberal professors repent? Do you think these things are possible today? Sure, it's, it's almost a little awkward to even talk about it because we're like Gideon. And we've been in this wine press so long, we don't know why it's not changed. Listen to what Jesus said, and I'll wrap up with this. When Jesus was talking to the early church about getting ready to start the church, after the resurrection, before he ascended, Acts 1-4 said this, He told the disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the, the promise of the Father. Now that's very key. You might circle the word promise if you're writing your Bible, because he's referring to the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, he, he tied the Holy Spirit to their mission. He said, you're going to receive power, spiritual power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, just like he did Gideon, and you're going to be my witnesses. In other words, you're going to do the will of God. You're going to advance the kingdom of God. You're going to call, uh, this bus that Pastor Travis talked about, you don't know how excited I was when we were able to do that. If you'd have asked this church 15, 20 years ago to do something like that, I'd have had to tell the missionary, we can't even afford the gasoline, sir. We're just trying to get by day by day. You say, what's happened, Pastor? God's anointing is in our midst. And God has anointed people to give money. Listen, it's easy to write the check if the money's there. And then when the burden is there, listen, that's, that's, there's an anointing involved in all that. It's not just good fundraising. It's not just good bookkeeping and all that. Listen, it is God at work in his people. Uh, let me close this scripture, Acts 2.33. Now it's after the day of Pentecost. The Spirit has come. The promise has come. And now there is this, this resident power in the life of believers to do the will of God. Uh, Peter is speaking these words. Now there's a crowd of thousands of people that are listening. And Peter said about Jesus being exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the... The promise of the Holy Spirit. He's poured out this that you're seeing and hearing. And then he began to talk to him about Jesus. He began to talk to him about prophecies in the Old Testament. In verse 37, here's what this power of the Spirit did. It convicted the hearts of 3,000 people. 
At this moment of time, 3,000 peoples who were defiant against the Christian message all of a sudden turned 180 degrees and became followers of Christ. Uh, verse 37, they heard this. They're cut to the heart. That's a spiritual term. It means God convicted them. And they said to Peter, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent, turn from your sins, be baptized in water, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 39. For the promise, there it is again. The promise is for you, he's talking to his audience, your children, but then what does it say? It's for all who are far off. How many know we're pretty far off from there? All who are far off, and everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. What does that mean? It means there's alls in every room, uh, alls and everyone's all over this room. Punch your neighbor and say, you're an all. Punch your other neighbor and say, you're an everyone. So what am I saying? I'm saying, if you and I will ask God to show us what he wants us to do, if we are willing to answer his call, if we're willing to be obedient to do what he says, he has promised to hook you up with ability. He has promised to give you what you cannot do on your own. He has promised you when you reach the edge of your limitation, whether it's education, money, or experience, he said, I'm going to turn the supercharger on, and I'm going to do something for you just like I did for Gideon. I'm going to take 300 men, and I'm going to defeat an army of 120,000 people. I'm going to do something with nothing if you're just willing to say yes to me. How many can say, I'm on board, Pastor? That's what I want for my life. I want significance. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand to your feet, and we're going we're gonna to close in prayer. Hey, we got one more message next week in this series on significance. But I want to ask you to do something. Don't turn off just yet. Cracker Barrel can wait. I could tell this morning you're listening very intently. I could tell you weren't resistant. I could tell that there's hope in your heart about what God might do for your life. I can also tell that most of us feel like Gideon in that wine press. Particularly we that have been Christians a long time and have gotten older and have prayed a lot of prayers that weren't answered, have looked for the supernatural and hadn't seen it. Can I tell you, friends, just because we hadn't seen it doesn't mean that it can't be real. I cannot form what I believe today by my experiences of yesterday. I have to form what I believe about what the Bible clearly teaches. And there's a hungering, there's a longing in your heart for your life to matter. Every one of us in this room are two generations away from no one knowing you even lived on this earth. Unless you are somehow famous and make the history books. I show off my little grandson all the time. I know it's kind of, it's nice, lighthearted, I enjoy it. He's John Henry Miller V. John Henry Miller II has held him in his arms, but unless my daddy lives a long time, he won't know him. And not even my son knows my granddaddy. I called him Gran. And I don't even know the original John Miller. I went by his grave in a cemetery once in Memphis. All I know is what my daddy said. My daddy said he was a, he was a, 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 a dairyman in Wisconsin. 
and he was so good at it, someone hired him in the Mid-South, and he oversaw several dairies, and that's how our family got here. That's all I know about a man who lived a life and started a name and a legacy and a generation. Every one of us in here, two generations away, and you won't be known. But what you do for Christ will last for eternity. The Bible says God records it in a book, and one day God will reward it. And what God is looking for today is for people to get out of the wine press. For people to say, I don't want my limitations to stop me. I don't want my failures to stop me. I want to get out and I want to tell the Lord Jesus, Lord, I'm willing to go and do what you say for me to do. But I desperately need the power of your spirit to make it happen. Well, we're going to close with this prayer. And I want to pray in this special way. We don't do this often, but I'm going to do it today. If you would like to pray with me around the altar as a sacred place to God, to make your commitment to the Lord, I'm going to invite you to come. I'm asking you if you're here today and you'll say, Pastor, I want to be like Gideon. I want to get out of that wine press. And I want to do something great for God with my life. I'm willing to be obedient and I want to present myself to the Lord. And I want to ask Him to anoint me with His Holy Spirit. If that's you, just slip out of your chair now and come and stand around the altar. You're coming simply saying, I'm offering myself to God. Make space. I'm offering myself to God this third Sunday in January. I'm offering myself to God at this stage of my life. I'm surrendering to the call of God. I'm taking my eyes off of what I don't have and what I can't do. I'm coming to this altar today saying I want God's perfect will for my life. I want to know what the calling of God is. Just make some more room as people are coming. You come. There's something about the altar of God. Thank you, Lord. God, we just praise you right now. All over the room right now, let's just reach out to heaven. Whether you're up front or in your chair, I want us to just start talking to the Lord now. Just tell the Lord, Lord, I, 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 I don't want to stay inside the wine press. Whatever your wine press is, it could be your age, it could be your economics, it could be your experience, it could be your education, it could be your mistakes. But we're standing in this altar right now saying, God, we don't want to stay in the wine press any longer. We want to hear the voice of the Lord and we want to hear it clearly. Come on, just tell the Lord that right now. Say, Lord, I want to hear like, like Isaiah heard. Uh, who, who, who shall go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. I want to hear that voice, Lord, and I want to be willing to go. I, I, I don't want to be like the rich young ruler that's going to say it's too costly. I just want to say yes to you. And Lord, as, I, as I'm willing to go, I want to ask you to just anoint me with the Holy Spirit. Come on, reach your hands out to heaven and now and say, Lord, I can't do it on my own. I don't have what it takes. Gideon didn't have what it takes and I don't have what it takes. But you told Gideon, I will be with you. And that's what I'm asking for, Lord, for you to be with me in a tangible way. I'm asking you to do for me what you did for Karen Rayfield. All she did is showed up at the homeless church. And before she knew it, resources were coming in and homes were opening up. God, that's what we're praying for today. That's the anointing of the Spirit we're talking about. We're asking for this very thing to happen to us. That it is divine, that it is supernatural, and that it is life-changing. We're here today, Lord, to say yes to you. And we are simply willing and obedient to do what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. Thank God. Thank God. I want you to just put your hand, you that are in the altar, just put your hand on your heart right now. All of us can do it if we like. Just as a symbolic act, 
to say, Lord, would you help this commitment be sealed in my heart and don't let Satan steal it away? Because when I get out in the world, it's almost like I step back in that wine press. And what's happening around the altar right now, I pray that you would just put some heavenly momentum behind it and nothing stop it, can stop it. Come Holy Spirit today. You that are in the altar, I just want you to keep talking to God for just a moment. But if you're in the congregation, I want to ask you this question. And it's no more serious a question because I've been talking to Christians today. I've been talking to Christians, encouraging them to live the life that's going to make God proud. But you know what I personally experienced? It's in, in, taught in the Bible, but what I experienced in life is you don't become a Christian automatically. Uh, becoming a Christian is not because your mom's a Christian or because you went to church. Becoming a Christian means receiving Christ as your Savior. It means receiving God's forgiveness for your sins. And here's the big one. It is committing your life to follow Him. And that is a deliberate step. It's a deliberate act. If you can imagine, we're at the downtown train station. We don't ride trains much anymore, but you get the picture. The train pulls up, it's going to Dallas, and you want to go to Dallas. You can stand in the parking lot, and you'll never make it to Dallas. You have to get on the train. Well, giving your life to Christ, receiving Him as your Savior, is your step to get on the train. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? Well, I'll tell you, here's where it starts for most people. For most people, they realize in their heart that something's missing without God. For much of their life, perhaps you're like me, you pray on occasion, you read your Bible sometimes, but usually just when trouble came. But God seems just out of touch. But you know God is real. You've found in your heart success doesn't make you happy. Money doesn't make you lasting happy. Relationships. There's a God hole inside. See, this will fix it. Inviting Christ to come in your life. Maybe you're here today and what many people have felt is the conviction of sin. It's just almost the things that you did that never bothered you, now you're starting to feel troubled by it. Your conscience bothers you. It's God's way of saying what you're doing is wrong and sinful. It needs to be forgiven and you need to follow me. You see, well, if you're feeling that way, the way you become a Christian is literally through a prayer asking for God to forgive you. And here's the biggie you in your own heart of hearts committing your life to follow Jesus Christ. It is a defining moment. I did it on August 15, 1976. I turned my life and I began to follow Jesus. And if you feel like right now that I'm talking to you, I'm, I'm going to say this, friend. God's just anointed me to talk to you. It's the Holy Spirit calling you to Christ. And whether you've never committed your life to Christ or you did it one time and got away and you feel God's calling you back today, I'm going to encourage you when we begin to sing this last song, slip out of your chair and come over to the cross on your right, and there'll be a pastor there that will pray for you as you make the greatest step of your life. We will not embarrass you, and you are not joining this church. We just want to help you as you start your relationship with Jesus Christ. Go ahead and begin to sing the last song. Our prayer team is going to come and just make their way up front. If you need prayer for anything, but most importantly, if you need to get right with God, you come and we'll meet you at the cross today. It'll be life-changing. I love you and God bless you.